Have you ever seen one of those people holding up the signs at a football game with a Bible verse on it? Or has someone say something to you that was kind of Bible-y, but it just kind of made you feel uncomfortable? Or had a street preacher hollering at you through a bullhorn as you were walking by? Have you ever heard that and wondered what they were talking about or even if they were using it correctly? I have, and that's the foundation and the inspiration for my latest Bible study. Welcome to Bullhorn Bible Study. I'm so excited about this study, you guys, because it's all about words and how powerful words can be. I'm a, a bit of a wordy, nerdy girl. I love to wrestle with words and try to figure out how to put them together in a way that will be most impactful to people. For me, words are like paint on a canvas or notes in a melody. And because of that, I am deeply aware of how powerful words are and how careful we must be when we are wielding them. Words can change a life. They can incite riots. They can offer the comfort of a warm blanket. Words can heal, but they can also wound. This is especially true when the words are attributed to God. Sadly, I can cite far more examples of God's words, or at least words attributed to God, being used to wound rather than heal. The hardest part is I don't think it's often maliciously intended. I think that people just take God's words or what they think they are, and they, they try to make them fit within the context of their own personal narrative. It's like they take God's words and then they mold them to try to fit their lives. And what they need to be doing is they need to allow their lives to be molded by God's word. Now, this really shouldn't come as that much of a surprise to us. We live in an era of social media when misinformation, sound bites, and creative editing are used for the sake of ratings. This same thing has been happening to God's word for far longer, but with much more devastating results. People are actually turning away from God because of who they think he is based on their experiences with other people. And it's time that we take those words, the words that have been used to wound, and we take them back and we place them within the narrative that God has been writing, that he began in the Bible and continues on through us. So we're going to be spending the next 12 weeks looking at some of the most popular and famous Bible verses and Bible sayings to see if we can't get at what God is really saying to us through them. We're going to kick off our first lesson with one of the most popular God sayings. <clears throat> God will never give you more than you can handle. Or, as I like to refer to it, the lick your elbow of unhelpful God sayings. <laughs> Seriously, have you ever tried to lick your elbow? Go ahead, give it a try. No one's looking. You can't. It's a thing. People cannot lick their elbows. I can't, and I'm pretty bendy. I do yoga. I mean, I can shake hands with myself behind my back, but I can't lick my elbow. Because it's a thing, people cannot do this. Now, I'm sure there are a few exceptions to the rule, there are with anything, but majority of people cannot. 
And so saying to someone, God will never give you more than you can handle is the same as saying, if you just try harder or stretch a little bit more, you'll be able to lick your elbow. It's just not going to happen because it's not true. And while trying to get someone, telling someone they can, they're able to lick their elbow isn't going to wound them, saying to someone who's going through hardship, like to the person who has just lost their job and their furnace has broken down in the middle of winter and, oh, they don't have savings because they've already used them to pay their mortgages the last couple months, saying to someone like that or to a person whose daughter is defining the terrible twos and they're trying to figure out how to equip their son who has autism and, oh, yeah, by the way, their spouse wants a trial separation. Saying God will never give you more than you can handle to someone like that could very well wound for a lifetime. The hardest part is that when people offer these words, they're not trying to be hurtful. The people offer these words because they're they're looking to comfort. And unfortunately, what ends up happening more often than not is rather than it being a comfort, it becomes a burden of guilt or shame which is a pretty good indicator that God is not the author of those words. But I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. So how did this lie become an accepted truth for so many? Well, it happens in a variety of ways. Bible verses can be misquoted, they can be taken out of context, and sometimes they're just made up but used so often that people think they must be real. This particular saying is a fun combination of all three. These words don't appear together anywhere in the Bible, but I think the saying is derived from part of a verse in 1 Corinthians 10. Let's take a look. 1 Corinthians 10:13 says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Kind of close enough, right? So it might be true if that was all it said. But those two sentences are only part of the verse. The full verse says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Do you see what happens there? If you take out just part of the text, it changes the entire meaning. And so if you just take that at face value without knowing the full context, it can be very damaging to someone's relationship with God. And here's why. To understand that we need to actually go back to the saying itself. And you know, God never gives you more than you can handle. I wanna zero in on the word handle. I'm gonna get all nerdy girl on you. But this is the thing. The word handle means to manage something or control it. And so when we use this phrase with someone, we are saying you are already equipped with everything you need to be able to manage this situation, which is fine, I guess, sometimes. Sometimes it works. It's the whole, you know, like dig deep or pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But what happens when it doesn't? What happens when you don't have the tools? What happens when you, you don't have the emotional strength or the capacity to handle it? Because the reality is that every single person has a limited capacity. We are human. 
We just can't do it. We don't have control over the majority of everything. The lie lives in believing that we are capable of being in charge. The damage happens when we bump up against the lie and believe because we aren't able to handle it that we have failed. Saying God never gives you more than you can handle is putting the responsibility on you. It's saying that you were not strong enough. You didn't try hard enough. And when you inevitably find yourself in a situation that you can't handle and the world goes to pieces and you lose your ish on your kids or you start to hide behind work or in a bottle or you escape into Netflix, there's no one to blame but yourself. No one to blame and no way out. And sooner or later, if we... we we bump up against this this feeling of inadequacy enough, it will begin to cripple us with, with despair or hopelessness, bitterness or apathy. That's the lie that pushes people away from God. But what's the truth? Let's go back to the full verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The truth is, God does not promise that we won't endure hardship or face temptation. But he does promise that we won't have to face it alone. And that when we do come up against it, he will be there to help us find a way through it or out of it in a way that doesn't cripple us or damage our soul. It places the responsibility on him and not on us. Yo, this runs deep. Think about it. It's countercultural to the world we live in. The world says, you are strong. You are capable. You are enough. God says, I am strong, I am capable, and I am enough for you to survive this life with your soul intact regardless of the hardships that might come your way. So the true question is not, are you strong enough to handle anything that that God gives you? The question is, are you willing to admit that you are not and that you need to look to God to help you find a way through. So I want to end our time together today with a story about Jesus, because I like to talk about Jesus because Jesus is the visible expression of our invisible God. So when we see and hear what Jesus does, we know that it is who God is. And there is an encounter Jesus had with a man by the pool of Bethesda, which I think is really, which I think really helps us understand the truth of what we're talking about. So we are going to look at John 5 verses 2 through 9. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? So I, I want, 
<clears throat> so I want to end our time together today with a story about Jesus because I like to talk about Jesus because Jesus is the visible expression of our invisible God. So when we see and hear what Jesus does, we know that it is who God is. And there is an encounter Jesus had with a man by the pool of Bethesda, which I think is really, which I think really helps us understand the truth of what we're talking about. So we are going to look at John 5 verses 2 through 9. Let's take a look. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? Okay, let's stop here for a second and just try to make this come to life because that helps me. So, they're talking about this pool. This pool they're talking about were basically like giant public baths, which might sound a little weird, but it was very common in the time. And this particular bath was thought to have healing qualities. Here's a picture of the actual place in Jerusalem, which was discovered in the 19th century, but not identified until 100 years later. This is the actual pool of Bethesda. Now, fun fact, before this discovery, many scholars assumed that the five covered porches described in the Bible were unhistorical and a literary creation because it suggested a five-sided pool, which was weird. But when the site was excavated, it revealed that the pool was rectangular, but it also had two basins separated by a wall, which created a five-sided pool which just goes to show sometimes when we think the Bible is wrong, it's actually just that we don't have enough information, which is super interesting, but not relevant. So let's move on. So Jesus says to the man, do you want to get well? And the man answers, I can't, sir. I, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Okay, it's not really clear why the water bubbled up or what caused it to happen. The Bible doesn't explain it. So I guess we can assume it wasn't important. Who knows? Maybe someone just had bad gas. Maybe it was on a fault line. Maybe there was aqueducts. I don't know how that stuff works. All we know is the pool bubbled at times and people believed that if you were the first person to get into the water after the, it began to bubble, you would be healed. And here's this man who for 38 years has been crippled. And he thought that if he could just figure out how to get himself into the water first, then he would be healed. I wonder how many times he, how many days he came back to that pool and thought, and I wonder how many times he tried to think like, okay, it didn't work. So what if I tried something different this time? Okay, that didn't work. What if I try this? And he kept just coming back because he believed the lie that it was up to him to figure out how to get himself healed. But what he discovered on this particular day was all he had to do 
was look up and see Jesus and allow Jesus to heal him. In much the same way, when we live with the lie that we are supposed to be the one to have the strength to handle anything that comes our way, we will find ourselves crippled by disappointments, shame, or guilt, and it paralyzes us. This is a little too real for me right now. It was just a few weeks ago that I found myself in a really weird spot and I was paralyzed. It was the end of summer and um, my beautiful, wonderful, high energy and very chatty daughters had been all up in my grill all summer. I was trying to write this Bible study. John was traveling and he was busy and really stressed and I just, I don't know what happened, but it was like all of a sudden just like I just imploded, like all systems shut down. And I found myself escaping into binge watching TV shows and reading books. I'm not kidding. For a few, quite a few days, I would, all I did was make sure my, my daughters were fed and safe. And then I would escape into my office to work when all I was doing was watching TV and reading books because I needed to escape into other stories because I couldn't handle my own. And in, I couldn't shake myself out of it. And to be honest, I didn't really want to. It was kind of safe and cozy and it, did, it wasn't, I didn't have to really, I could just pretend none of it was happening. And it took a few days, but slowly I began to awaken to this like the faintest hint that maybe this wasn't so great for me and that maybe it wasn't healthy. But it took a, it, but it took a few more days after that before I had the courage to even bring it to Jesus or to kind of just like reveal it to him. I mean, I, I know that he already saw it, but when there's something to be said when we acknowledge that he sees where we are, there's vulnerability in that which is part of our relationship. Even when I got to that moment where I was like, okay, Jesus, I see what's happening. I know you see what's happening. Even when I got to that moment, I didn't have the strength to ask him to help me. And so I, I just said, here I am. I, here's where I'm at and I can't do anything about it. Would you meet me here? And so I just prayed that. I was just like, here I am help me. Ever so gently, Jesus brought me out of my emotional paralysis. I didn't do anything. I couldn't. I was too weak and I knew it. But I also knew the truth that man discovered that day at the pool of Bethesda. I knew that it wasn't up to me to have to figure out how to overcome my hardship without damaging my soul. I didn't have to take that responsibility. I could give it to Jesus and let him lead me out. Just like that crippled man learned the day he was healed, it had very little to do with what he was able to do. And it had everything to do with his ability to see Jesus and allow himself to be healed by the one who is able. So what about you? Are you able to admit 
that you don't have everything it takes to overcome hardship that comes your way. Are you able to admit that? And can you look to the one who is able and willing to lead you out it or provide a way to make it through? God does not give us more than we can handle because he doesn't expect us to handle it on our own. He expects us to let him do it. My name is Jody Sweet, and this has been Bullhorn Bible Study. We'll see you next time.